You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Good morning, church. How y'all doing? Great, man. Hey, thanks for braving the weather. I know it's nasty outside. For those of you online, thanks for joining us. Now, we're starting a brand new series this morning through the book of Colossians. And what we're going to do is we're really going to take this. And in my Bible, it's literally like two pages, three pages. And we're going to spend about six weeks going through these verse by verse so we can see what God wants to do through us as a church. man. And I want you to take this personal because this is a letter written by Paul to a church, to a new church. And Paul didn't plant this church, but he raised up the planter to go and plant this church in Colossae. And once we start to dig in, you're going to find out that this church is a lot like Impact Church. That, man, they've been doing a lot of great things that people around the region have heard a lot about them. But what has happened is there's a group of people that have come in and they have said, hey, so the gospel's great and all, but it's just the starting point. If you really want to graduate to the varsity level of Christianity, then there's more that you have to do. It's not just the gospel. And Paul's going to write this letter and say, man, they have it wrong. It is all about the gospel. That the gospel is not just a, a springboard into Christianity. It is the pool in which you jump into. And the deeper you dive into the gospel, the more and more you become like Jesus. Man, and so this, this entire letter is about the supremacy of Christ. It's about how He is enough. It's about how He is before all things. He is in all things. And He is over all things. And if you remember back to January 1st of this year, we discussed that our our word for the year is to shift, and we're shifting everything in our life back to Jesus. And this letter is Paul saying, hey, you guys need to shift back to the Gospel. That it's all about the Gospel. It's all about Him. It always has been, and it always will be. That's what this letter is about. Before we get there, it's a special day for me. It is my anniversary, so I just want to say happy anniversary to the one who makes me anything at all in this life. So happy anniversary to you. I was going to sing her a song, but she told me not to do that, or this may be our last year together. So I want to continue this marriage on, but man, I told you all last week that if I want people to be impressed by me, then I will introduce them to her. She is my better half and she has put up with me for 12 years. So thank you. I love you. You are amazing. So Colossians, if you, if you have your Bible, turn there. Um, so for people like me who can't remember where the books of the Bible are, there's letters written by Paul. And just remember this, God eats popcorn. Okay, So that's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians in your Bible. So you can, I mean, that's just how I have to remember stuff like that, so just remember that. God eats popcorn. It is in the back of your Bible. It will be on the screen as well. We just sang a song that said, I believe, but help my unbelief. 
And in Mark chapter 9, we see where this comes from. It comes from Scripture. And this father whose, whose child is, is just possessed, and his child, it, he, he doesn't know what to do, so he, he tries to take him to Jesus. And he says, hey, if you're able to do anything, please help my son. And Jesus being the, like, the man, right, says, what do you mean, like, if I can do anything? Like, I'm, I'm Jesus, I can do it. And he says, you just have to believe. And the father cries out and says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And that's so powerful because as believers in Jesus, there are still doubts that creep up in our life. There are still questions that we have. There's still some unbelief that, that kind of creeps in. And I want you to know that it's okay to have questions. But I also want you to know that God is over the doubts and the unbelief. That when you're struggling with doubts, when you're struggling with unbelief, that He is the only one that can help you through that struggle. He's the only one that can help you through those questions. He's the only one that can help you through the doubts. And again, this just shows the supremacy of who He is. That the only thing we bring to the table is our sin. And then He does everything else. Colossians Chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Again, this is Paul writing this letter. He is in prison. I just want you to understand that when he writes this, he is in prison, and he is writing to this church. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. He's just saying, hey, you guys are doing a great job. As it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, he is the church planner that Paul raised up, our, be our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Twice in the beginning of this letter, Paul says, we are praying for you. We love you. We are praying for you. He is showing some kind of tenderness that is is really not seen from Paul very often. Now, I don't know how much you know of the Bible, but if you just kind of thumb through the book of Romans, Paul is the one that says, hey, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the most part, Paul is always to the point. He's always telling people the truth. And it seems like maybe he has no issue saying, hey, you're a sinner and you're going to hell forever and it's hot. The end. You need Jesus, right? That's Paul. But when he's writing these letters that we see, these epistles to, to the churches, he shows some type of tenderness because he cares about these people. And he says, we have been praying for you. He loves the church. And, and really, in, in Timothy, when he's writing a letter to Timothy, he says, hey, so I, I've been away for a while and I long to see you. Like, I remember our tears together. Now, a couple weeks ago, I went and preached at Anchor Church, and man, I missed being here. And when I got back, 
And I saw our people. I didn't say, man, I remember our tears together and I longed to see you. I was like, what's up, man? Like, how you doing? Paul is saying, hey, I love you in this kind of way. And I get it, man, because I love this church. Like, there's no place that I'd rather be than with this family. Now, I'm not talking about in this room. I'm not talking about a physical location. I'm talking about the mission that God has given us here in Harlem. And I love being a part of this family. I love how you care about lost people. I love that you invite people to church. I love that you want people to hear the gospel because the gospel has changed your life and you want other people's lives to be changed. I love that this is a place that is authentic, that we are real here, that we don't try to fluff things up, that we don't try to make things really pretty and shiny, that it's all about Jesus, and we're just going to be the imperfect people. We are taking steps of faith together. I love that you guys let me be authentic up here, that you let me be transparent, that you let me walk around and, and shake my hands and do all this crazy stuff that I do, and you still come back. I love the fact that you love Jesus. And I want you to know something, that this isn't my church. Like This is our church. This is our mission. This is what God has, has called us to. This is, this is us together on mission for Him. So I don't ever want you to say that, man, I go to Dustin's church, or this is Dustin's Thing. This is not my thing. This is not my church. This is God's church. He is the senior leader over Impact Church. And together we are a family, and I love that we are a family together. Jeremiah 3.15 says this, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And the word here, shepherd and pastor is the same thing. And, and what it's saying is that churches get pastors, pastors don't get churches. So I want you to know that we are in this thing together. And I love the fact that you guys take ownership of the mission, that you want to engage in what God is doing. So when Paul says that I, I'm praying for you, I love you, man, I get it. I get it, because I pray for you. I don't pray about you, I pray for you. There's a difference. You know the difference. So praying about someone is like, man, God, please help my wife stop being so crazy, right? That's praying about someone, like, for myself. Or, God, please allow my husband to stop being such a slob, right? That's praying about your husband, not for them. So I'm not praying about you, I pray for you and Paul here is praying for this church. And we see that there's there's five things he prays for starting at the end of verse 9 it says this asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, give me thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want to break these down really quickly. Five things that, that Paul prays for. He says, I pray for the knowledge of His will and all spiritual understanding. And the word know here doesn't mean to know about something. It means to know something. So Paul is praying that we don't know more about God, but we know God more. He's saying, I don't want you just to know all this stuff about God. No, I want you to know God. I want you to know who He is. He's saying, I want the relationship to come first. And then the relationship will shape the way you live. And this is, this is a good way to remember it. In Genesis, the Bible says that Adam knew Eve, and then she bore a son. So there's knowing, and then there's like knowing, knowing. And this is what Paul is talking about here, is that intimately you will know the Father. And the second thing he prays, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And he's saying here is that, man, my prayer for you is that your identity would precede the activity. Your identity would precede the activity. What happens is we want to we wanna act right and then we think we get our identity from the way that we behave. And Paul says that's not the gospel. The gospel is that your identity is in Jesus. And then because of your identity, because of your relationship, then your behavior begins to change. It's not the other way around. And he's saying, so I pray that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And it starts with understanding your identity as a child of God. And then he says... He wants them to have strength with all power. He wants them to be filled with the power of God. It says, according to His glorious might. So He's saying, hey, I don't want you to get everything you ask for, but I pray that you have everything you need, and I trust that God will give you that. And then He says, for endurance and patience. So He's not praying that it's going to be easy. He's praying that in the circumstance, you understand that God is in control. He's not praying that the circumstance changes. He's praying that your perspective changes in the circumstance because you know that you have all the power because of who God is. And then He says with joy, not happiness. Because happiness is rooted in happenings or happenstance. Joy is rooted in Jesus. And when things change, our happiness can go away. But the, the true joy that Paul is praying for here is rooted in the fact that Jesus is who He says He is. And then he prays for them to be a grateful church, constantly giving thanks. That's the fourth thing. And we can be grateful because of the fifth thing he prays. And he prays for a gospel perspective. He prays that they understand the gospel of Jesus. That they were sinners in darkness and God transferred them from the darkness into light. What did we do to earn the love of God? Nothing. That's the answer. It's always going to be the answer. That we did nothing. That God is the active agent. That He has done everything necessary for our salvation. That we have redemption through the forgiveness of sin, not because we did anything to earn it. No, it's because He loves us as His own. And because of His love, we've been redeemed by the forgiveness of sin when we accept that into our life. 
And when we understand the gospel, it changes everything in our life. And this is what Paul is praying. He's praying that these people, these Christians, these believers are transformed completely by the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And and I pray that our lives have been completely transformed by the truth of the gospel. And Paul, man, he loves these people. He loves them with a type of love that even though he didn't plant the church, like he knows about them. He raised up Epaphras to go and plant this church and he's heard these things and he, he's realizing that there's some, there's some things that are coming in to the family that shouldn't really be there. It's heresy. And he's saying, hey, let's get back to the truth of the gospel and it's that Jesus is enough. That He's before all things, He's in all things, and He is over all things. That He is who He says He is. That the gospel isn't a springboard into some greater, bigger type of Christianity, but it is the pool in which you die. That as we dig and dig and dig into the gospel, then the more we get to know about our Father and the more our lives are forever transformed because of who He is in our life. And this is Paul's prayer for this church. Now, I want to share some prayers that I pray for you guys as a church. I want to share my heart as your pastor and the way that I pray for you. Now, my prayers are a little different. I pray some different things, but I tried to narrow it down to some some overall things that I pray for you guys on a daily basis. Because I love you. And I don't, I drive about an hour to work, an hour home from work, and and it's just a, a time for me to just be still and to pray. And I try to listen to some podcasts occasionally, but I'm so tired, like, I just can't even focus on. I'm just like, God, this is your time. Like, just tell me what you want me to know. And I want to pray for the people that, man, He lays on my heart. And I always pray for you. So there's five things that I pray for Impact Church. Number one is this, that you would know God. That you would know God. The same way that Paul prayed for these people to, to have the understanding and the knowledge of God. Not that you would know about Him. We live in the South. Everybody knows something about God in the South. This is the Bible Belt. There's churches everywhere. And there's a lot of people who say that they believe in God who don't know Him. There's a lot of people that come to church every single week that say they believe in God and they don't know Him. So my number one prayer for us is that we would know God. That we would not just know about Him, but we would know Him personally and intimately that we would have a relationship with Him. That this isn't just a religious thing that we do. No, this is a relationship with the Almighty, Supreme, Amazing Father. Man, I want you to know that. I want you to know who He is. Number two, I pray this, that you would know that you're valuable. That you would know that you're valuable because this is what I believe. That if you know how valuable you are, it will change everything about your life. 
Because if you truly know how valuable you are, then you would, you would be treated that way and you would make sure that you're treated that way. And this is how valuable you are. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And the price was the blood of Jesus. That He gave everything for you. That He bought you with His life. That's how valuable you are. Psalm 139, 14 says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Do you know how valuable you are? You're so valuable that the Creator of the universe sent His one and only Son on a rescue mission for you. And a lot of times we say, man, well, God sent Jesus to die for the world, which is true. But man, I want you to know that if you were the only person here, He still would have come for you. He loves you that much. And you are that valuable. And we say this all the time, but how many of you have ever sold like baseball cards or something that was just old and you were like, man, I'm going to get a lot of money for this. Anybody ever do that? All right, cool. How many of you did that and you realized that it's not as valuable as you thought it was? Right? Like I've done that. I'm like, man, this is, I'm going to get a lot of money for this. I'm going to get about six, $700 and then I get about 40 It's like, okay, so not as valuable as I thought. But that's how you determine value. What someone is willing to pay for it. That is the value of something. Just because you think that your, your old couch that you've had since the 70s is, is worth $1,000 and it's very valuable, that doesn't mean that it's worth $1,000. Somebody's going to come to you and say, man, I'll give you $20 or you give me $20 to take it because i got to get it clean. Like, that is how you determine value. And God said, well, this is how valuable you are. I'm going to give everything for you. Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And His works, which includes you, they're wonderful. And my prayer is that you will know it full well. Because once you know how valuable you are because of Jesus, it changes everything about your life. The third thing I pray for you is that we will be abundantly generous. Because we believe that God is going to use the abundant generosity of ordinary people to stir up an entire city. And I pray that we will become abundantly generous with our finances, with our time, with our gifts, but that we would be abundantly generous. And this is what I know. That people get uncomfortable when the pastor starts talking about generosity. Because it's usually money, and money is a huge part of this. And I used to get uncomfortable when pastors talked about money, when I wasn't generous. So then I learned that as a Christ follower, meaning that we're following after Him, that He was so generous that He gave everything. He didn't just tithe His life. He didn't just tithe His blood. No, He gave it all for humanity. And He calls us to follow Him in abundant generosity. Man, and I'm blown away by the abundant generosity of our church. And the things that we get to do in this community because of your abundant generosity. 
And I don't know if you realize this, but man, we get to bless people all the time because God is using your gifts and your faithfulness and your generosity to, to really stir up an entire city. And if you don't believe that, man, I don't really know how else to say it, but to say that we constantly see lives being impacted because of your generosity and what we're able to do as a church family for the people in this community. It's constant. It's not just a one-time thing. This is something that, that we exist for this reason. So that as we know Him and we grow into following Him, then we show that to a world who desperately needs it. The fourth thing I pray for you is that you would not attempt to manage your sin, but that you would grow more in love with Jesus. I grew up in a church that was, if you're a Christian, you need to do this, and you don't need to do this. And it was all about sin management. And I would go to church and I would realize, well, man, this ain't good because I'm doing a lot of this stuff on this list that I'm not supposed to be doing. So I, I need to lay that down at the altar or whatever I need to do. And then the next week I come back and there's like a different list and I'm on this list again. It's like, man, I'm a horrible Christian. Like I can't manage my sin. And maybe some of you feel that way. And this is what I want you to know is that you're exactly right. You can't manage your sin. That's why we need Jesus. That's the, that's the whole picture of the gospel is that we're sinners and we can't manage it. If we could manage it, then we don't need Jesus. And the truth is we need Him every single day. So my prayer for you is that you would not attempt to manage your sin, but you would grow more and more and more in love with Jesus. That's why we say here that we're not trying to be better people. We're just trying to get closer to Jesus. And as we get closer to Jesus, then we believe and we know and we trust based off of Scripture that He will transform us into more and more and more faithful Christ followers. And this is the fifth thing that I pray for you, is that we will be a place of biblical community. And you can say fellowship here, but fellowship where I grew up, was that was a thing. They dedicated like a whole hall to it, right? I mean, it's, And then you had a bunch of casserole dinners in there and stuff like that. And I think it was just people didn't have anything to do on Sunday night, so they just did this. They just hung out and ate, whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about true biblical community where we, we truly take steps of faith together. Is that impact is not just some event that you come to on Sunday morning. That it's not just some, some type of show or anything like that. No, this is a family of believers who are taking steps of faith together. That as we break into our different groups that we have, is that these groups would, would be so close. And, and when you say that you're going to hang out with your church family, that... Yeah, it includes all of us, but those special people in your group that you've connected with, that you're really doing life with. And I don't know if you know this, but if you don't have that, we can help you get plugged in and engaged with a group. We can help you build that biblical community. This is what I know about community, is that God didn't intend for us to do this life alone. And that you need people in your life. And I need people in my life. You need people 
in your life where we can encourage one another, where we can pray for one another, where we can celebrate with one another, where we can cry with one another, where we can seek after God together. Biblical community is where it's at. And my prayer is that we will truly be a place of biblical community. These are the five things that I pray for you. And it can really be summed up in this way. And we say this a lot, but it can be summed up like this. My prayer for you is that you would truly know God. And then you would begin to grow in Him. Is that you would begin to, to have relationships with people and build a community so that you could take steps of faith together. And as you're growing and as you're getting closer to Him and as you're, as you're just falling more and more in love with Jesus, that you begin to show His love through abundant generosity and through faithfulness to what He's called you to do. My prayer for us is never, ever, ever that we become a church of 500 people, 1,000 people, 10, none of that. My prayer is simply that the people that are a part of this mission understand what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. That we grow in that. And then we begin to show that to a world who desperately needs Him. That is my prayer for us as a church. And we have an opportunity coming up in a couple weeks to do this. To, to engage in the mission. To show God's love. We have the Harlem Hoppening coming up on April 8th. And this is just a big Easter egg hunt for a lot of little kids. If you don't like kids, I would recommend that you like serve somewhere in the back. I still want you to serve, but somewhere away from kids. But there's a lot of different opportunities, and it's something that, that God placed on our heart three years ago. We did it. We had no clue what we were doing. It went pretty well. We did it last year. It went better, and we believe this year is going to be the best one yet. And it's an opportunity for us to show people in our community that there's someone who loves them. That it's not just us. That it's Him. That the Creator of the universe, the Savior of the world, loves them. It's a chance for us to build relationships with people and to show God's love to them in a real and practical way. And then the very next day is Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday, man, they say it's the Super Bowl of, of Christianity. Like it is the Sunday where people show up and there will be lost people that come to church on Easter because it's just what you do. And it's a good opportunity for you to invite people that don't know Jesus so that they can hear the truth of the Gospel. And we tried to make it very easy for you to invite people. We have some, just some generic invite cards where you can give to someone and say, hey, I would love for you to join me on Easter. Hand them an invite card. It just has the location and the time. And then if you don't like talking to people, which I totally understand, you can just share the, the post on Facebook. There's going to be multiple posts about Easter. You can share that, inviting people without actually talking to them, and that's okay. But I want to close this morning with this. I want to jump back up to verse 13. Because this is the Gospel. It says, He has delivered us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is what changes our life. For some of you, you, you know about God, but you don't really know Him. You know about sin, but you've never really laid it down. You know all the answers, but you've never experienced a relationship with Jesus. And this is, this is kind of how I view life, right? Just think about all the things in your life. The, the addiction, the, the past, the, the present, the unforgiveness, the anger, all this stuff. And just pretend like they're just handles all over your body. They're just handles. you got handles everywhere. And this, this world, the enemy, it's like the walking dead, man. There's like zombies coming up to you and just grabbing a hold of these handles. And they're trying, to, they're trying to pull you away from Jesus. They're trying to pull you down. They're trying to help label you by one of these handles. And we're just walking around in this life with these handles. And, and the enemy knows exactly what to do. He knows exactly how to grab a hold of you. And he knows how to knock you down. And the gospel is this, that in our own strength, in our own power, we put the handles there, but we have no way to get rid of them. That Jesus is the only one that could take the handles away. And some of you, you're walking around in this life with all these handles still all over you. You think that what you did in the past is it still defines you, and Jesus would say, that doesn't define you. I define you. But the enemy's grabbing a hold of that handle and saying, no, man, Jesus is wrong. He can't define you. You remember this? This is what defines you. Some of you, you're doing stuff that you told Jesus you would never do again, and you don't know why you keep doing it, and you think that defines you. And he's saying, no, that doesn't define you. I define you. But the enemy's grabbing that handle, and he's pulling you away from Jesus. Some of you are dealing with some unforgiveness in your life. And the enemy, he keeps reminding you of all the hurt, of all the pain, of all the brokenness. He's grabbing that handle and he's just pulling you away from Jesus. And Jesus is saying, hey, I have the power to take away all the handles. Just let me do it. And this morning, some of you, you need to cry out to God and say, hey, I'm done with the handles. I can't do this anymore. Stop trying to manage your sin. You can't do it. Just get closer and closer and closer to Jesus. Some of you need to lay those handles down at the feet of Jesus this morning. And here's the harder part. When you walk away, you need to leave them there. Because we're really good at laying them down, and as we walk away, we pick it back up. And we walk away, and we're like, man, this is good. I feel a little lighter. And then by Monday afternoon, it's attached to you again, and you don't know what's happening. Jesus is over that. Jesus is bigger than that. He wants you to live in the freedom that He's offering you. 
Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.